Welcome to episode 30 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles. Well, there is absolutely no doubt what the topic's going to be for about the next five weeks in the National Hockey League, and that is trades, trades, and more trades. The conversation is just heating up at a record pace, and although every team certainly has someone in mind of either trading or acquiring, the team with the most people to trade probably has got to be the Montreal Canadiens. And let's start with three specific players. Josh Josh Anderson, Sean Monahan, and Joel Edmondson. God knows they have a lot of other players to add to that list that we'll get to here in a little bit. But these three players are really seeming to be the bulk of the phone calls, at least thus far, that the Canadians have actually gotten. After the trade of Bo Horvat from the Vancouver Canucks to the New York Islanders, apparently this has anointed Sean Monahan to the next available best option on the trade block, which should significantly enhance Montreal acquisition of assets and draft picks for him according to many experts so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that the phone has supposedly been ringing off the hook for josh anderson and joel edmondson as well which are both interesting because it's very interesting to take a look at other teams apparent fact that they don't care or it doesn't matter or they're not concerned about the injuries that joel edmondson has had significant amounts of over the past two seasons and the near like go type presence that Josh Anderson has mainly had since he's been a member of the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, yes, he's had games where you're just on the edge of your seat, riveted, you know, brimming with excitement because of the way he's playing, which we'll talk about more here in a little bit. But most nights, you don't even know if he's actually even on the ice. And as for Joel Edmondson, he only played in 24 games last year, has had maybe not as many games missed this year, but still a significant amount of games missed and just seems to be extremely injury prone. But in both cases, these players also seem to remain highly sought after, which is really, really interesting and something that we will dive into. So starting with Joel Edmondson, apparently not only has his injuries not decreased interest in him by other teams as they're fielding a significant amount of phone calls for him, but his play is still considered a leadership role and something that would bring calmness and leadership to other teams' defenses. I honestly can't imagine a trade offer not being good enough to acquire him, especially if Montreal can do the same thing they did in the Ben Sherratt trade last year with the Florida Panthers. If they get a first-round draft pick or better, as far as either just a first-round pick, first-round pick and other draft picks, or a first-round pick and assets from like an A-list prospect list of another team, I don't know how you don't make that trade for Edmondson. He apparently has a contract that doesn't make anybody scared or run away from it. $3.5 million per season for this season and next season. And with the logjam of defensemen that the Canadians currently have, and here's what I'm referring to when I say logjam, Jam, you have Arbor Jackeye, Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris, Jonathan Kovacevic, and Justin Baran have now stepped in and taken five of the six roster spots. One would have to think at this point the other spot has got to be there for Mike Matheson, who was highly sought after by Ken Hughes. Fields is a strong leader, a good skater, good first pass, has certainly 
had a number of points for the games that he's played, but has also missed a fair amount of injury time. And after that, you've got like nine other players besides other players that are also on the roster, such as David Savard, Chris Weidman, and you also have a host of uh, prospects in the AHL and in minor league teams and in the European leagues, all vying for that next spot, which one would have to imagine with the season, just as an example that Lane Hudson is having in Boston, you've got to figure he's got to be the sixth member of that defenseman or defensive group in the very near future. It would be hard to imagine him not making that roster after the incredible rookie season that he's had, the incredible progression that he's made in his game that's been reported on. He obviously seems to be somebody that a lot of teams kind of missed out on, similar to Cole Caulfield, because of his size, was overlooked, and might turn out to be more than a diamond in the rough. He might turn out to be somebody that could have legitimately been a top five first round pick in the 2022 draft. But the Canadians honestly should have no concerns about being able to field six people on the defense. They are loaded with defensive prospects right now. And honestly, to be very candid here, the organization has got to be, or at least should be extremely concerned with his health and injury history of especially the last couple of seasons. You know, I I don't like to write a guy off just because he's injured, but his injuries are long-lasting and season-impacting that the Canadians just can't afford moving forward. Now, moving on to another player who is apparently just a very, very hot topic that I'm just not seeing. Maybe it's me, but there is apparently a group of NHL general managers, amongst others, and many others that see Josh Anderson as this prototype power forward on a National Hockey League team. So I get it. He's 6'4", somewhere between 217 pounds and 225 pounds. That being said, that's all he's got going for him as far as the mold of a power forward. Because I'm not seeing the game that's impressive that apparently other people are seeing. On some nights, you will be on the edge of your seat, like I was saying earlier. You will be riveted. You will be excited. This guy has had a tremendous impact on the game you're watching. He's engaged. He's creating. He's making things happen. He's a catalyst. He's been a difference maker in that game. But that's like one game in every 12. The rest of the nights, he's a ghost. On many occasions, people are like, has he even played tonight? I don't even remember seeing him on the ice. So maybe his problem is he just doesn't fit into Montreal's systems, either of the past when he first got there or of the current system, which would be hard to believe because Martin St. Louis seems to be able to adjust his system to make any player within it a better player. It's pretty hard not to be able to play in his system. There seems to be not only is it conceptual rather than system-based, It's flexible. There's a lot of movement, a lot of ability for interchanging of pieces and things like that. It's pretty strange not to be able to fit into that somewhere. And given the fact that Anderson is a top six forward, we're not talking about a utility player, a role player, a fourth line depth player. I know some people have said his contract at $5.5 million annually is a bargain, but for $5.5 million, if you were to score 25 to 30 goals, let's even say 35 goals, and still not end up with more than 50 points in the season, there's a problem. There's an inconsistency issue. There is a disconnect. He looks out of rhythm. He doesn't gel with his line mates consistently. He seems to have to play or does play better with certain people, but not everybody. When you're making that kind of money and you supposedly have those kinds of abilities, you should make anybody you play with a better player. That line should at least gel. I'm not saying you have to be Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux, 
but there should be an automatic impact that you should have with the players that you're with enhancing their abilities when you're recognized or seen as that kind of player making that kind of money. So according to some reports recently, Montreal has received some offers of significance for him. And apparently yet though, although offers of significance, not enough to really entice a deal or for anybody to pull a trigger. That being said, if anybody's offered either multiple first round picks, a first and a second, first and a third, first, third, and some assets, I think any one of those combinations are legitimate deals that should be able to land Anderson on another team. I mean, if they can get more for him, my hat's off to Ken Hughes. I have said from day one of his hiring, he has a deft touch and has an ability to make trades. I mean, just look at what he already acquired for Monaghan, and he may double that with another first-round pick, but just for picking up his contract initially, he got another first-round pick. So, obviously, the guy's got amazing abilities and talents, but honestly, Josh Anderson... I don't think deserves a roster spot on the Canadians right now. I think there is a prospect or somebody in the AHL that should be given an opportunity and see what they can do. Because consistency-wise, he just hasn't shown it in any year that he's been there. I get it. He's had some injuries. I get it. There's been some coaching changes and things like that. But he and Christian Dvorak even played together at the London Knights OHL team. And they haven't even looked good on the ice together. I mean, the people that he's looked best with was either on the wing on Suzuki's line or on the wing with Doc's line, but not even consistently. He's looked good there for a couple of games, but then disappears even on those lines, which considering the talent that Suzuki and Caulfield have together on a line and considering Doc has played far beyond expectations, is going to finish with career high numbers so far, has increased ice time, has increased and improved his faceoff percent. I mean, what's the contribution by Josh Anderson here? I'm just seeing an occasional chip-in player. I'm not seeing much. So maybe it's me, but I don't think it is. I'm not seeing the value of the contract that this player has on that roster. I'm just not. But we're going to get to an interesting trade proposal for a couple of players, being Josh Anderson from the Montreal roster, in the acquisition of somebody that many people have just been absolutely ravenous about and always are saying the Canadians must in any way, shape, or form obtain this player that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But just to wrap up this part of the topic for a second, I just don't see what so many other teams are enamored for. But hey, if they're willing to give up those type of assets to get them or more, make that deal. And not only do you gain more assets, more draft capital, but you move out another contract. Not necessarily that maybe his contract is on the top five list of the ones that you want to move, but still you can move out another contract and get a plethora of draft capital or prospects for. Now, that said, here's the one-on-one trade. I'll bet this causes some people to sit there and go, oh my God, what a great idea. I just want to see this happen right now. And that is if you have to have Pierre-Luc Dubois from Winnipeg before he becomes an RFA, or excuse me, a UFA at the end of his current contract, then how about a one-for-one swap of Anderson going to the Winnipeg Jets and Pierre-Luc Dubois coming to the Montreal Canadiens? But here's the problem that I have with that. Let's say for the sake of argument and everything else that comes with it, Pierre-Luc Dubois turns out to be the player that everybody thinks he is or that the many people that want him badly think he is. Well, I have a question. Which team 
team would he be a greater impact with and have a greater career with? A team that where you acquired him for nothing but his salary as a UFA at the end of his current contract, or you traded away Josh Anderson for him, who you could have used to acquire more draft picks, more assets, and signed him for free at the end of his contract. That's kind of the way, if somebody wants to acquire him, I say at the end of his contract when he's a UFA, you don't have to give up anything for him. You're talking a year. So unless there's a problem of some type that develops, like either he signs a new contract and now you do have to trade something for him, or he doesn't sign with Winnipeg but signs somewhere else, and then there's kind of a multiple team trade or something like that, why would anybody other than just taking on his salary give up more for him? Especially when you can surround him with more talent. If he had more talent around him because the Canadians have more first-round picks for trading players like Josh Anderson, would Pierre-Luc Dubois not be a better player because he's surrounded by that kind of talent? I mean, doesn't that kind of seem obvious? But if you had to give something up for him, do a one-for-one with Anderson for Dubois. If everybody who believes he just has to be a member of the Montreal Canadiens as soon as humanly possible, then make that trade. But if you make that trade, I wouldn't include anything else. You're, You're talking about both players, 6'3 plus, okay? Both players over 215 plus, okay? Both are supposedly game changers. So that should be an even swap if you're going to make that trade. So as I began episode 30 of this podcast, with we'll start off with three specific players of... Josh Anderson, Joel Edmondson. The third one, of course, is Sean Monahan. And apparently there's some significant interest in this player, especially after the Vancouver to New York Islanders trade of Bull Horvick. And many people have said he is the next best option available on the trade block. So if that's the case, Montreal should be able to get another first round pick plus for this player. And if Kent Hughes is able to roll picking up that contract and end up with multiple first-round picks between Calgary and whoever else this player goes to, and or more, that has got to be worthy of being mentioned in the GM of the year discussions. That is an incredible haul or pickup of assets for a player that you didn't even have on your roster that you just alleviated contract congestion for another franchise for. That has just got to be unbelievable as an accomplishment. So those are the three players that are supposedly being talked about fielding significant offers. Beyond that, though, like I said, Montreal has has a shopping list of players to move out and to trade for assets and A-list prospects and draft picks. The next player on that list has to be Christian Dvorak. Now, there are some people that have argued, it's like, oh, well, Christian Dvorak is the best defensive center on the Montreal Canadiens. He has the best or highest face-off win percentage, maybe. But the difference that I see between him and Jake Evans, and granted, Jake Evans right now is injured and is out for at least 10 weeks. Personally, I think that's going to be a season-ending injury that he's got. I think I have a feeling he's not coming back this year, just like I don't think several other players are, that their injuries, like Caden Gooley, I think his is going to turn out to be a season-ending injury, just like Colefield and Slavkowski's injuries were. But that being said, I don't see a big difference between Dvorak and Evans. Now, I do see a difference of $4.5 million per year with Dvorak versus $1.7 million a year with Evans. But I don't see a lot of difference in their game. So if you can shave off, uh, what is that, $2.8 million? 
shave it off especially again if the teams are willing to give you a first round pick which seems to be the compensation being thrown around for him if not even more than just that so again Montreal can clean up in a very deep draft for people that are concerned for additional franchise cornerstone impactful players or Montreal for example finding that next goaltender in the elite group of goaltenders that that organization has had in its histories that's one way to find it is by stacking and racking up first round draft picks or high second round picks but as i've always said and i still stick to this i believe jacob dobbs who's playing for ohio state in the big 10 is going to surprise a lot of people he is just having back-to-back seasons of remarkable numbers and statistics strong play and i think is just far beyond achieving the expectation of a fifth round pick he's going to be the next fifth round pick that turned out to be far more than a fifth round pick and ironically you've got not only jacob dobbs was a fifth round pick like brendan gallagher was but you also have joshua roy who was a fifth round pick montreal apparently has an ability to find diamonds in the rough in the fifth round because the three picks of gallagher jacob dobbs and joshua roy are heck of a finds in the fifth round of an nhl draft i mean almost all of those players argumentatively by the time their careers are over with if dobbs and roy have the nhl careers that they could potentially have on a consistency level like they've had in the juniors and the big 10 look out that'd be a hell of an accomplishment now, of course, beyond those four players comes the absolute landslide list of Jonathan Drouin, Evgeny Donatov, Joel Armia, David Savard, Chris Weidman, Jake Allen, Brendan Gallagher, Mike Hoffman. From Laval, I would also include and unload Jesse Ulanen, Anthony Richards, Michael Stevens, Nate Schnarr, and Caden Primo. And especially with Caden Primo, Montreal seems very gifted with their current management of being able to leverage players for the most in return that they can get. And although Caden Primo could probably be traded to a number of organizations, my personal belief is they could get more from the Flyers or the Devils than any other franchise in the NHL. And the reason for that is both Primo's dad and uncle, Keith and Wayne Primo, played for the Flyers. There's a lot of relations there. There's bloodlines there. There's familiarization there. And regarding the New Jersey Devils, Caden Primo was born in Voorhees, New Jersey. So it's a homecoming. He's closer to his family in both cases. And I think in either one of those franchises, he would stand to have a better career than he will have in Montreal. I don't think he's going to make it in Montreal. I really don't. He has receded tremendously. And why? I couldn't even begin to tell you. Because he's been given a lot of opportunities. He did have a good playoff in the AHL last year, but has not been able to build on it. And he just looks like he's lost. He He's just not grabbing the system. And maybe Martin Brodeur, in his executive position in New Jersey, maybe he would be a better mentor or a better advisor or somebody that Caden Primo can develop trust with that could help him along. Because I think Primo could be a good goaltender, but it's not going to happen in Montreal. I think Montreal already has several prospects still with their junior or U.S. uh, college clubs that have already surpassed him. I I honestly believe Jacob Dobbs has surpassed him without question. I believe the kid that Montreal drafted this year in Emmett Croteau, I think he's passed him on the depth chart. And I think 
in the case of Frederick DeChow and Joe Verbetic, are at least even with him, if not ahead of him. So that doesn't bode well when you've got at least two, maybe as many as five guys ahead of you, and you've already made it to the AHL and they're not even there yet. That's... That's not good. Something occurred when he was at Northeastern and left after having really solid seasons. Came to Montreal, seemed to have some attention, some allure, some you know fire in his game, and then it's like it died out. It's like the fire went out. He's just not been the same goaltender for the last couple of years. Again, whether it's a system-related issue, whether he doesn't have the proper support as from a goaltending coach or a mentor, whatever it is, something has had a negative impact on Caden Primo. It just has. While switching gears from those topics to a positive topic, it clearly looks like Lavelle has produced the next and latest solid addition for the Habs roster in Raphael Harvey-Penard. He has looked absolutely solid from the moment that he's arrived. He looks like he belongs. He hasn't looked out of place. He's been able to play with and shift around multiple lines and play with different players. He's been very effective. He's been consistent. He looks engaged in every shift, in every game that he's played in. That has been fantastic to watch. I wish him absolutely nothing but the best. Maybe the couple of extra years in Lavelle, since his stature is very similar to Brendan Gallagher's and his game is similar to Gallagher, maybe he will stand a better chance to play longer in the National Hockey League or at least before his career is significantly impacted like Gallagher's has been due to injuries. I've always said Gallagher has the heart of a lion. He's truly the heart and soul or has truly been the heart and soul of the Canadians roster. But man, over the last two to three years, he has been a shell of himself. His game and the physical impacts of it and how he plays has truly worn him down. I mean, he at, at most right now is a very fragile peripheral player. And it's unfortunate too, because I loved watching him really get in the front of the net, making things happen, stirring things up. It was great to watch. But honestly, Brendan Gallagher needs to go to a team where he can have a much less physical presence. Other players can take that away from him and he can just play a more traditional offensive game and continue to score, continue to have a greater impact on the team. But I just think physically, I don't think he can hold up. I think he'll be the next player to start having those issues as far as keeping up with the next generation. And there's been several of those players in recent time that have had those issues. Mainly defensemen, but still, he seems to be headed in that direction. And that is going to be horrible to watch because I think the world of him. I think he's an awesome player. I always have. And for the last topic of this particular episode, let's talk about the All-Star Game and All-Star Weekend that is just hours away. Honestly, has anybody ever found that interesting at least for the last three plus decades i haven't i have literally zero interest in any all-star game or skills competition of any major sport they're not games i mean the the skills competition just seems to be show-off periods and the games themselves are anything but a game i mean honestly the last nhl game 
that I was genuinely interested in, and let's talk since we're talking about the NHL, the last NHL All-Star game that I was interested in was in 1989. To say the least, just a few years ago. Honestly, there there isn't any game or competition more pointless or irrelevant than these games. There's hardly ever any goaltending. It basically becomes an absolute shootout, which can destroy the confidence of a goaltender as they face the league's most elite offensive talent, which, by the way, they're not even guarded against with a defense. Defensemen don't really play. They just kind of skate around like they're skating on eggshells because, you know, we don't want to check anybody and hurt anybody. We don't want to cause any injuries. Then why have the game? Honestly, if you're not going to play a normal, competitive, all-in game, don't play it. It just doesn't make any sense. There's hardly any hitting. Everybody's afraid of getting injured. And, and that has validity to it. I get it. Players are afraid of being injured because they obviously don't want to hurt their own team's chances of going deep into the playoffs, finishing as high as they can, maybe getting a better playoff mix and opponent, and eventually a shot at winning the Stanley Cup. So I get that the players don't want to get injured. That is a very legitimate and relevant concern voiced by the players. But the exclamation point on it is most of the players elected to or voted for to play in the All-Star game don't even want to be there. So let me get this right. There's no goal very little defense, nobody hitting, nobody wants to get injured. So basically you're a shooting gallery as a goaltender. You are just in front of a shooting gallery that is going to take pop shots at you all night long, be impressed that they scored on you, even though there was no defense to protect you, no defense to keep them out of the way, nobody was hitting. That's not really a good representation or anything for offensive players to be proud of. I mean, when, when nobody's playing against you, how hard is your job? I mean, basically you have a stationary target in the goaltender to just obliterate. That That's really what it comes down to. And honestly, Major League Baseball, the NBA all-star game and the pro bowl and football are equally as useless and irrelevant i mean honestly if from what i understand the purpose of an all-star game is to showcase the best of a league okay that's one but two and even more likely and prominently it's to enhance market, improve the brand recognition of, and the image of the league, and to draw not only the current fan base in, but to draw new fans in. So if that's really your targeted goals, and that's what you really want to achieve to continue to see your league, your sport grow, and if it grows, it might expand to more teams, which means more jobs for hockey players, which is great, or any other sport, then don't you really need to create something that might just draw some interest and be a real competition to do that let's talk about a concept or an idea i think would be a remarkable improvement not just a little we're talking like difference between night and day so just as a quick side note before we get into that can you imagine if the nhl handed out a survey via email via registered mail however they did it which do you think in the current situation and current style of the nhl all-star game and skill competition is offered in players would be more interested in going to the game and playing it and participating in it for all the reasons we already talked about that they don't want to and things that don't happen or do you think they'd be more interested in a two-week break as a recovery to be able to recover from injuries, build back up endurance, have a rest so they have more energy or the chance to have a greater second half and continuation to their season rather than just being 
dead exhausted. Which one in the current situation do you think most players would probably respond in the survey? I'm going to guess conservatively between 90 and 95% of the players surveyed would select the nearly two-week break for recovery from injuries and to regain some type of energy so they'd have a better second half to the season. Just a random wild guess on my part. I mean, honestly, who wouldn't want to heal up nagging or cumulative injuries that affect nearly every player on every roster in every sports league throughout every player's career? Instead, let's take a concept that would create far more interest, have far more appeal, not only in the traditional markets and continents, and I did say continents as in you have the country of Canada, the country of the United States, obviously, on North American soil. You have the country of Mexico, who has even had people of Mexican descent who have played in the National Hockey League, such as Scott Gomez, among others, but he's one of the better known ones. But you also have players currently from Slovenia, Czechoslovakia, Russia, Latvia, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Germany, Poland. The list is pretty elaborate and it keeps going. That's not even all of them. Okay. So what if the new concept allowed you to have more appeal, more draw, showcase talent far, far more competitively on a global stage? Would that not reach more potential viewers? Would that not create potentially more new fans? Would that potentially not enhance the brand and image of the league far more than anything else? So try this one for size and see how this fits. So other than Olympic years, which I don't agree with on another totally different topic, Olympic teams having NHL or pro players, I still believe that is purely for the amateur athlete. And I think the pro athletes have actually decreased the quality of the Olympics rather than enhanced it. I know many will disagree with that, but that's a topic for another show. But try this concept on for a good fit, if you will, like an article of clothing. Instead of the current skills competition and all-star game, which quote-unquote is referred to as the all-star weekend, what if you were to take the best of the NHL, similar to what they did, and here's the reference model for this game or the example for what this competition would turn into. If anybody remembers Rendezvous 87, when the NHL's best played against the Soviet selects in the Coliseum in Quebec in 87. That, to me, was the best game and series in the history of the league. Okay, those other ones are the only things that this game belongs with. You have the 72 Canada Cup, you have the 76-77 Montreal Canadiens, and Rendezvous 87. And and remember, this was a game where one line on a team with so much talent had Gretzky at center, Lemieux was on the left wing, there's a weird one, and Marc Messier. That was just the first line. And they were virtually unstoppable. Gretzky and Lemieux on the ice at the same time, nobody had anything to offer against them. They couldn't stop them. It was unbelievable. So using that game as the reference model for this, you assemble the NHL's best on a roster. Conference across the board, it's not an East versus West thing. It is the best of the NHL on one roster. Then each year, you have a three-game series that the best of the NHL play against a different country. The Swedes, the Finns, the Germans, the Russians, the Latvians, all of it. Now, here's the catch. The country that you're playing against, let's pick Russia as an example. All the players in the NHL that are Russian actually play for the Russian team in this. They don't play for the NHL team. So you're playing 
the best that every country has to offer against the best of the NHL in a best out of three miniseries that covers a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, just like the current all-star format does. But it's the best of the NHL versus another country each year. One year it's against Russia, one year it's against Germany, one year it's against Slovenia, one year it's against Czechoslovakia, and so on down the line. But all the players in the NHL from those countries play for those countries, not the NHL roster. How much more competitive, how much more interesting, how much more of a brand recognition enhancement would that be to the league? Because that could lead to not only continued expansion within Canada and the U.S., but also internationally in other countries. What if the NHL started having teams in, say, at first, the Scandinavian countries, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Norway? Wouldn't that be a global enhancement? And now you're talking about getting fans from around the world, so you're going to have country pride and patriotism. You're going to have very, very rabid fans fans that are going to be behind their own countries and by the way this goes for when the at some point the best of the nhl plays the united states and canada guess what all the canadian born players all the u.s born players play for their own countries at that point so this is an across the board thing and that would really be an outside the box concept with a far greater interest for fans And they're real games. There's no walking on eggshells. There's no non-support for the goaltenders and people just love shooting 3,000 pucks at them in a game, seeing how many they can score and thinking it was an achievement when you're kind of like just overwhelming the poor guy and he might as well just like walk away from the goal and let you score into an empty goal. I think it would be a lot more competitive than that current system is. But that would be the way, to me, for the NHL, if they really want to enhance the sport, they really want to see it grow, you want to see something that the fans are going to want to be riveted to, that would be far better than whatever you want to call the current setup. And for the players, benefit because people are going to say what does the league get out of this and what does the players get out of this well the league gets growth the league gets marketing brand image recognition enhancement okay the potential of more franchises and the fees that go with that severely enhancing the players union the owners and the revenue of the league the players on the other hand get to go somewhere else other than the cities that they go to all the time they get to bring their families with them which their families now can benefit from an international experience And I'm sure families would be much more excited going to, say, Germany versus, oh, I don't know, New Jersey. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been to New Jersey a lot. The people are great. The food is awesome. One of the best places if you like food. No competition. New York, New Jersey, Chicago, some of the best cities, not just in the United States. I mean, some of the best chefs, some of the best restaurants that will rival anybody anywhere. I mean, they say you can have Italian food on the West Coast. You go to Jersey, and it's not even close. Jersey wins hands down. They say you can get a deli sandwich on the West Coast. Jersey and New York, no competition. They win hands down. So I'm not putting down New Jersey in case anybody thought that was a stab at New Jersey. But it would be far greater interest for the players, their families, the league, everything that the league and the players supposedly want. Everybody wants more revenue. It would generate far more revenue as well. and would be an international event on an international stage, which is bigger than anything else they can create. There is nothing bigger you can create. Once you're international on a global stage, that's it. I mean, unless you're going to start having, you know, Hockey Universe weekend or something like that, but you better find some people on another planet and another planet you can play the game on. That's about as far as it's going to go unless you find those options. So with all
with all that said, it brings us to the conclusion of episode 30. I am your host, Stephen Stiles. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Have a fantastic weekend, and I will return with episode 31 soon. Thanks again.